Welcome to the Practical Theology Ministries podcast. I am sore throat stricken Michael, and I am joined by Lou. This one is in my wheelhouse, Savala. Right, right. <laughs> and Good we, evening. <laughs> and we have gathered here together this week to tell you that people are people, and you are special, just like everybody else. Now, we've said before, and we'll say it again, we want to have a biblical basis for everything that we do. That's the goal, is we want to take an idea from Scripture and branch out. So since I have actually said that out loud, let's actually do this. And we are going to read a long, long passage for Scripture to start off with, all right? So get a comfy chair, buckle up. Genesis chapter 3. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Yes, we're going to break my cardinal rule of hermeneutics, and we are going to read, dun-dun-dun, a Bible verse. Why are we be reading this Bible verse, however? All right, let's see. Where are we? We are in the garden. Yes. Sin has been accomplished. I don't know if that's really an accomplishment, but it has been accomplished. We have had the curses pronounced. We are being booted out. Humanity, though, because of the grace of God, because of the mercy that he has shown, is going to continue, and it is going to come from Adam and Eve. Now, if you don't like this because you are one of those, well, Genesis is really just a poetic book in its figurative language. Stop it. Stop it right now. Stop it. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with your God. Matthew 19. Pharisees came to him. Who is him? Jesus. Uh, Jesus is him. Jesus. To test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, the he is Jesus, remember, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, that's not just a wedding verse. Did you catch what Jesus said? Did you not read how God made them in the beginning? Now, I am not a literary scholar. I'm not an English major. I've never pretended to be one. But one of the things that I do know is that the word beginning means the start of stuff. Yes. So if Adam and Eve are created in the beginning, you know, like Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells you, then there's nothing before them, which means there is no one before them. So that means Adam, Eve, first people, Everyone else comes from them. Now, I know what I've done. I have stepped into Darwin's living room, and I have slapped him across the face. And you know what? I've prayed about it, I've thought about it, and I feel really good about that. (laughs) I have no issues with slapping Darwin or his theories because they are godless at their core. No, I don't want to hear your gap theory. And if you want to argue with me about the gap theory, God bless you, Michael at practicaltheologyministries.com. I'll be happy to have that back and forth with you and explain to you how you're wrong. I'm good with that. So there are not lines of humanity where, you know, the African and the European and the Asian come from different branches on the evolutionary chart. Stop that. It's the reason why we started with the song that we started. Children learn this when we teach them decent theology in children's songs. Red and yellow, black and white, they are... Precious Precious in in his sight. Why? Because they are all his children. 
all of humanity is part of the creation of God. They all come from Adam and Eve. There are no lines. There are no branches. This is the biblical anthropology, the biblical definition of humanity. Now, with that said, that means sin corrupts how many people? Well, at first two, but all. At first two. Eventually, all. Right. You, you mean sin corrupts like white people? Absolutely. Yes. Sin corrupts black people? Absolutely. What about the brown people? Absolutely. Oh, Native Americans? Yes. Those really fancy Europeans and in, in their, their, their cut jeans, that, that, that them too? Yes, I believe that, yep, right. that covers okay, them too. Okay, they're, they're, yep. they're in there too. Sin corrupts everyone, right. and it corrupts us, believe it or not, equally. Yes, I, equally. That doesn't mean you sin in the same way as everyone else, but you are just as depraved as everyone else. Your sin may manifest in a different way. Somebody may have a problem with coveting. Somebody may have a problem with stealing. Somebody may have a problem with lusting. But you, too, have your cross to bear. All have fallen short. All have become corrupt. All have walked away from God. Therefore, the salvation that Christ has brought was meant to redeem how many nations? All. See, this is my fun trivia. See, this goes back to the promise to Abraham. Right. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just for Abraham and his seed, but it was for even the nations that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. And that blessing is confirmed in his, as Paul so beautifully points out, it is in his seed, which is Christ. Mm -hmm. That is a blessing to all the multitudes. That is why when you fast forward to the end of the book and you get to the back half of the Bible and you are in Revelation, who is gathered before the throne of God? People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, go back to the birth of the church. There weren't white people. At the birth of the church. If you go back to the early church councils even, you would have seen a lot of Mediterranean, Mm -hmm. Middle Eastern, African African people. These early church councils were not European white people. We were the great unwashed masses as far as Christianity was concerned that Paul was trying to reach as he was expanding and spreading the gospel. So you would have seen a lot of that. Now, what changed with that, it comes in through all of history, and we do not have time to even go near that. The point that we're making is humanity has a singular starting point with Adam and Eve. Every human being can trace their lineage back through the ages and the generations to get back to that singular point, which means that has all have fallen in Adam because in Adam all fall. Oh, yeah. Sin corrupts us all equally. Therefore, the work of Christ is given and proclaimed to which people? Oh. All people. So the, the gospel of God is meant to be proclaimed to the entirety of the world. Hence the reason why you go, and as you go, you make disciples of who? All All the nations, nations. as it's recorded in Acts, in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yeah, the uttermost. That that just sounds like we're smarter, doesn't it? Yeah. The uttermost. Snooty, isn't it? It's it's like like last week. It's the aseity of God. We're carrying the gospel to the uttermost. So this is our starting point. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, self. Why have they started with this one Bible verse? Why have they branched out in such a manner so as to explain something that is really one of those duh moments? Well, 
One, watch the news. Well, hang on. I did not tell you to watch the news because if you're like me, you watch the news for 20 minutes and you're like, all right, I'm going to curl in the ball in a fetal position and rock. Mm -hmm. It's just depressing and I can't take it. But if you are vaguely familiar with what's going on in the world, nationalism, uh, racism, ethnic pride, these are all things that are not going away because people are not getting better. Why? Because... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as the world moves farther and farther into its own technology and worldview, it's going to move farther and farther away from a godly definition of self and salvation, which means these little... What's a fun word for sin? Ooh, these little picadillos, doesn't that? There's another smart word, you know? Mm -hmm. These little things that creep into the souls and hearts of fallen men are only going to get worse. The cure is the same as the cure has been throughout human history. It's the work of Christ applied by the Spirit of God to repentant hearts that God has drawn to himself. This is the work that we seek to do. This is the message we seek to proclaim. So... With that said, what group are we possibly going to tackle? Because to be sure, there are not groups that are using the Bible to try and justify an ethnic view of human history and salvation. That wouldn't exist, would it, Lou? Well, yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right. So here is, here is our transition point. We are going to move into our apologetic because we're going to introduce you to a fun group that... Admittedly, I, w I will say that I actually met this group about seven, eight years ago and didn't have any earthly idea who they were and then only found out about them later. So in a broad manner, as broad as you can possibly do for this, Lou, what in creation is a black Hebrew Israelite? Well, so since you asked me to do it in such broad strokes, a black Hebrew Israelite is a person who believes that ethnic Israel is really black. That the transatlantic slave trade brought these people to our country in ships, and that has been their identity. Their identity, actually, I should, I should say, um, was stolen from them in that transaction, from the transatlantic slave trade owners to the slave owners in this country. All right, two things real quick. One, stop laughing. Right. Because if you're like me, Lugo's black Hebrew Israelites are people that claim that modern day black people are descendants of Israel. You have to stop yourself because while that sounds ridiculous, they're serious about this. Yes. They actually believe this. All right. So, hmm, excuse me, lovely sinuses because, again, I'm fighting the, the cold and the muck and the mire. So they are the descendants of Old Testament Israel. They believe so. And through history, somehow or another, they end up displaced. And then they end up through the transatlantic triangle slave trade thingamabob. They end up here in the quote-unquote new world. Right. All right. So, so now what? So what is the point then of their existence? Well, they have found uh, their purpose in their identity now. They have, they call it waking up people. You know? Before I go-go? Sorry. It, yeah. It's not the woke church, per se, that we have today as well. <laughs> That's a different waking up. Yes. But we'll but, get to them later. But they are waking up to their identity. That's what they believe. Um, the 12 tribes, they are many different ethnic groups, uh, uh, Native Americans, the, um, the Mexican people, uh, all of these people, the people from... Uh, 
different parts of the world, everyone except for the true ethnic Israel is on that on that twelve tribes list. So, so basically, everybody's a tribe except for actual Jews and white people. Right, right. The white people are Edomites. They're they're cursed people. They're, um, yeah, yeah. They so are, one day someone's going to have to explain to me how the Edomites, who are named after someone who is red, right, later become white. White. Yes. But we might get there. Don't count. Don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> That's an interesting group, to say the least. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You're going, this, this is not serious. I'm telling you, yeah. this, this, they're, they're serious. And not only are they serious, they're, they're really serious. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we had a, uh, we had a shooting at a, uh, at a synagogue that was perpetrated by followers of a sect of black Hebrew Israelism. I mean, this is, this is part and parcel of living in this world, is recognizing that there are groups and people that... It was actually a kosher deli. Yeah, that was, it was a deli. It was the synagogue. Yeah, I the apologize. Other, yes, yeah, the, the other grocery one. St- it was the grocery store. The, the, the synagogue right. thing was something different. I apologize for confusing my, my anti-Semitic attacks. Right. <laughs> there seems to be so many of them lately that it just doesn't... It's hard to keep them all situated. No, you are right. That was the supermarket. That is right. correct. But this is the same idea. There are groups that are going to lash out because of their theology. So with this in mind, we understand how we read the Bible. Right. And when I say we, I, I mean actual Orthodox Bible-believing Christians. Yes. So if you are BHI, which we're just going to use that for black Hebrew Israelism, because after a while I'm going to keep muttering and spitting on myself if I have to keep saying Israelism. If I am BHI, how am I saved? What does my salvation look like? Well... Uh... That's a good question um, because there are so many different sets of uh, uh, Hebrew Israelites that they have differing um, opinions on salvation. Some of them are Torah keepers only, and they, they don't have anything to do with the New Testament. Therefore, the, uh, the Torah, the works of the law, uh, tend to be their uh, method of salvation. There are, however, sects of uh, Hebrew Israelites that, that believe in... Jesus, Yeshua, um, but some of them, they believe he is a created being. Um, many of them... So Arians. Right, right. They have no concept of the divine nature of Yeshua of Nazareth. Um, they, they have varying uh, opinions on who can be saved as well. Some will say that we as Gentile people, um, Edomites, can be grafted in. Others say that there's no salvation for Edomites, who they're, you know, calling yeah, that, non, that, that's That's the, uh, the, the white people, as yeah. you go. <clears throat> Which pretty much covers a lot of people. Almost, well, anyway. Um, so it, it's really interesting on where they, their, their doctrine of salvation, um, it can vary from group to group. It's really hard to nail it down. Um, I know there are people that are studying certain groups specifically, and they learn a lot about them. Um, you know, Vocab Malone is one of them. He's got a lot of good stuff out there. Great book. Um, Obama and the Black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, Barack Obama. Yeah. See, I have to. I, I, I'm trying not to <clears throat> laugh at this, but there, there does reach a point where you just this doesn't make any sense, and that's part of the reason why we're looking at this from this perspective, and why we're tackling this as we look at the doctrine of anthropology, because 
what we're dealing in, if, you've, if you're not paying attention to the underlying worldview, what Lou is laying out is a warped anthropology, mm-hmm. a warped soteriology, doctrine of salvation, and even a warped homartiology, which yeah. is a doctrine of sin. Yeah. So a biblical anthropology, as we laid out from the very beginning, is a one human race descended from Adam and Eve, fallen in sin, with redemption granted only in the work of Christ. And that is available to, not just available to the nations, but it will be effective to the nations because that is what God has promised to do. We throw that all out the window. And what we now say is that we have a special group that is re-identifying themselves based on no historical evidence, horrendous hermeneutical following to say that, no, 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 we are the people of the book, the inheritors of the promise. Right. And not only that, we have now taken what was supposed to be, so there's your anthropology, we then take what was supposed to be a promise to the nations in salvation, soteriology, and we have hidden that. We have taken that away from you, or we have defined it only through us. Excuse me. (coughs) Trying not to hack my head off. So this is almost akin to the Galatian heresy, where you, you either can't be saved, mm-hmm. or you can be saved if you become a Jew first. Right. So, you know, enter into the covenant of circumcision, enter into the keeping of the law, enter into the dietary restrictions, and then Jesus covers you, which is kind of like the Mormon doctrine of you do your best and, and Jesus does the rest. It's in a total affront to the, the witness of, of Scripture. I mean... The people of Israel, when they, when they were brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand, they were not first given a bunch of rules to keep, and then God would save them. God saved them. He brought them to that holy mountain, and then he gave them his, his holy and just law. This, so, is, this so, is consistent. Right. Um, is Abraham justified before or after he is given his covenant sign with God? He's justified before because he's given his covenant sign of circumcision in Genesis 17. He's actually justified by faith in Genesis 15. And if you really want to go back, he is called and set aside by God in Genesis chapter 12. Right. When is Noah justified by God? After he builds the ark? No, that's the proof of his justification. He's justified by God when you get to the beginning of chapter 6 and all the thoughts of man's heart are only evil continually, but Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Right. Why does Noah find grace? Because he's part of that family line of men who began to call upon the name, the name of, the of the Lord in Seth in Genesis chapter 4. So this is a consistent thing in Scripture, is that God calls, God justifies, God redeems. Then, because you are now the people of God... Right. As you seek to live in holiness, God, by his gracious mercy, gives you the means of that holiness and explains what holiness looks like. That's what the law is supposed to do for believers. It's not a, if you don't do this, Jesus is going to smack you. It's a, no, you've been redeemed. You have cried out in repentance and faith because of your new nature granted to you by the Holy Spirit, because of your new desires. How do I live a holy life? God has given me this. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a club to beat you. It's, well, it's, a me, it's a mechanism of gracious living. That's right. I think people who walk in the commandments of God are doing it because they love God and they want to yes. keep his commandments. It's not, it, it is, you know, the, the, the Great Commission, you know, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and, and then teaching them all that he has commanded 
them to do. So there is this, the kergma, the, the, the gospel is not devoid of the law, but the, 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 the proof of your salvation is that your desire is to follow, the God, follow God and what he had said. Yes, <clears throat> this is, and again, this is where understanding this, understanding a, what I call a 747 view of scripture, to be able to zoom out and see the entirety of the revelation, figurative, figuratively speaking, of course, enables you to then place the proper, I don't want to use the word stories because it just drives me nuts, but it allows you to place the narratives and the teachings and the prophecies of Scripture in their proper context because you're actually following the overarching story rather than trying to build out from each individual section of Scripture. Right. So, so let's have some fun. Okay. What, what would be a, a key BHI text that they would use to justify? Well, Deuteronomy 28 and 68 is their right. key text. So I'm going to pull up Deuteronomy 28 because I have that sort of technology in front of me. Lou is doing the same. So, verse 68, The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Now, if I'm, let's see, based on what you have told me thus far. Mm-hmm. So let's see if we're going to do this in real time. That is the promise from Moses to the children of Israel fulfilled in the BHI people of the slave trade and how they end up in the new world. Okay, what's the problem with that? Well, there's a couple of problems. They seem to um, pick and choose when they're going to literally translate something or it is something figurative. Um, One of the questions that I've I've had and I've thought about is, okay, so during this transatlantic slave, you know, how, who was the king of Israel at that time? <laughs> um, and wouldn't the implication of you're going to be going back to a literal Egypt mean that you were once in Egypt? When, when were the black people, the black Hebrew Israelites in Egypt the first time? This is where I, this is why I gave you the warning that I gave you. My first rule of hermeneutics is, and you've heard me say this in Sunday school and on Sunday mornings and services, my first rule of hermeneutics is never, ever, 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 ever read one Bible verse. Now, this is why even though I read one Bible verse, I made mention of the fact that I read one Bible verse, and I did what? Make sure that we have a context. Where are we? Who are we dealing with? And why is this text important? So let's have some fun. Let's not just read verse 68. Let's rewind a little bit and see what we come up with. Um, Let's go back to verse 58. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and you do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illnesses. All right, time out real quick. Who is the author of Deuteronomy? The author of Deuteronomy? Yes. Well, Moses wrote it, but the author was God himself. God is the author because right. he gives this to Moses. If you want to know why it took Moses 40 days to receive the law, it's not that it took Moses 40 days to get God to chisel out Ten Commandments. It's because Moses is receiving everything of the Torah. Now, part of the change-up in this is who is the speaker in Deuteronomy? Moses is the author. God is the source. Who is the speaker of Deuteronomy? So when, if you do not carefully follow these words, who is saying that? Moses is saying that to the Israelites, this is yes. his final exhortation. Yes. 
Yes. He was speaking to the Israelites. What have they been given? They've been given the covenant. Right. They've been given the commandments. And they have confirmed that they themselves will keep them. That was their covenant commitment to God. Yes. And so what is Moses now doing? He's warning them. You have said you are God's people and will keep his commandments. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. So continue. He'll bring on you diseases of Egypt that you dreaded. They will cling to you. The Lord will bring you every kind of sickness, disaster. You who are as numerous as the stars of the sky will be left you in number. As it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. Among the nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. The Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, if only it were morning. Because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that you will see. And the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. See, when you do that, that simple act of putting it back into its context, what is, what is Moses doing? He's not explaining to them what's going to happen in the future. He's explaining to them what might happen if you disobey and break the covenant you have made with God. So in that prophecy of Moses, let's just say it's a prophecy of Moses. Indeed it is. Where is Egypt? Where it's always been. It's (laughs) in the Middle East. It's in Egypt, Egypt yeah. Nile River, you know, yes. su- southeastern Mediterranean, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, right? Right. So is America Egypt? No. No. Is America Israel? No. See, no. Th- this is why you don't read your Bible with the newspaper in your hand. We're not e- Israel. We're not Egypt. We're not Edom. We're none of this. Egypt is Egypt. Egypt. Moses is warning them, if you keep rejecting God, he's going to scatter you, and you'll end up back in your boats on, in, get into Egypt. You don't want to go to Egypt. Why were they out of Egypt? Well, because they cried out to their God and he heard their plea. And he, what's our big fancy theological R word? He redeemed them. them. He redeemed them from Egypt. He demonstrated his power, his might, and his majesty, and he brought them forth. Kinsman redeemer. See, this this sounds simple. Very. Now, you are going to run into these people and you're going to say this and they're going to give you the Jehovah's Witness treatment. They're going to blink three times and they're going to reset the mechanism or they're just going to yell louder than you. They definitely like to yell. Yeah. Those are the people you're not going to win. However, understanding this for the benefit of you, the disciples you're attempting to make, or the people who are standing around listening, this is of eternal value. Now, this is not... This is not something I've studied. I did not know what our key text was going to be. I propped it down, like pick one and we're going to go with it. And the reason being is I want to do this in real time because this is not hard. Mm -hmm. Explain what is the context of this? Why can I do that? Because I know where I am in scripture. I know who's speaking, who's being spoken to, and what God is doing. This is again why we started where we did with Adam and Eve, where we start with one humanity, because that understanding changes how I look at my fellow creation. It changes how I look at the world around me, and it gives me the proper lens by which I can evaluate the false claims that they make. This is part of why I said, when you, when you made mention that Jesus is a created being in some of them, that this is, this is Aryan theology, this is right. Jehovah's Witnessism. For yeah. those that say, well, you can't be saved— well, that's a rejection of the blessing of God to the nations. That's a contradiction of Scripture. Or to say, well, you can be saved, but only if it's through the BHI group. Well, that's a Galatian heresy that Paul talks about. That's, a, that's liberation theology like James Cone, who says you, white people can be saved, but only by black people. Right. See, this is a breakdown of a biblical anthropology. 
and a changing and a twisting and contorting of biblical definitions of sin and salvation that, if we're doing our jobs as Christians, should be basic doctrines that we understand on a regular basis. And just by having that basic understanding, we can refute this and dive right into a biblical presentation whereby what changes the hearts and minds of men? Only God. Only God, and what means does he use to do that? Well, he uses his Holy Spirit and the Word of God. There it is. So by preaching the gospel based on the Word. So when I say that the guy yelling at you isn't going to listen, the only way we have a chance of changing his mind is if we can actually get the biblical message of Christ into his ears. Because then the Holy Spirit can use that and work to change the heart. Which means even though he's yelling and screaming and doesn't want to hear it, our right proclamation of the gospel honors God and blesses the hearer. One man plants, another waters. There it is. Like the Holy so Spirit that will bring becomes forth important. the increase. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going, all right, this is, this is interesting. We've got humanity. We've got a, a, a bizarre, I don't even want to call them a Christian group. We're just going to call them a cult because that's what BHI is. It's a cult. Yeah. How are we going to make this practical to the world I live in? (laughs) This is where I get my evil maniacal grin going on. Because what the BHI group is doing from a cultic standpoint, the culture at large is doing from a sociological standpoint. And they're doing it with a worldview called intersectionality. Yeah. Yeah. Intersectionality, I look, we are not going to solve all of the world's intersectional problems today. I have no designs on doing that. What I do want to do, though, is make sure that we can cover a handful of baseline worldview things so that you have tools in your toolbox to understand and attack this. All right, so what is intersectionality? Intersectionality is a worldview idea that defines you by your cultural intersections. And then it basically puts you on the hierarchy in reverse order according to how, well, how much you have been blessed by society. So what I mean by that is, what's the bottom of the totem pole in the intersectional scale? It is the, the straight, white, Christian male. Because this world, based on Western civilization, has been geared for you. Therefore, you are the most blessed person in the society. Therefore, according to intersectionality, you should be at the bottom of the totem pole. So if you're a straight, white, Christian male, you're at the bottom. The straight, white, atheist male is a little bit of a step up ahead of you. The uh, homosexual, white, atheist male would be another step up, and, and you can kind of figure this out. Um, borrowing from one of my, uh, my favorite political shows, I, I think the, uh, the pansexual, vegan, Muslim, atheist, lizard person is at the very top of the scale. Mm. And I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you can beat that, <laughs> yeah, if that even makes sense. <laughs> so this is why you're seeing, when, you're, when, you, when you hear the idea of allies in culture, well, are you a gay ally? What they're asking is, are you affirming their intersectional right to have a voice because they have been oppressed and you have not? And you're going, I haven't oppressed anybody. Shut up, you hateful bigot. Just by your existence and asking that question, you are oppressing them. I actually saw an interview a couple of weeks ago where a woman was asked that on one of these talk shows. Well, what are some examples of bigotry and oppression in the culture? And I kid you not, with a straight face, she looked at the man and goes... Questions like that are examples of bigotry and oppression. (laughs) 
Yeah, wow. We just broke Lou's brain. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hard to believe. I mean, that's the world you're dealing in. Now, this is our connection point. BHI denies biblical anthropology, biblical soteriology, and biblical hamartiology, humanity, salvation, and sin. Right. Intersectionality does the exact same thing. It just does it from a cultural perspective rather than a, than a religious one. So here's what I mean. Biblical anthropology, all are fallen, all need the same gospel. So we have the same problem, we have the same cure coming from the same God with the same hope. Right. Intersectionality says no, depending on who you are, where you were born, what you've been given, determines whether or not you are oppressed, which determines whether or not you get a voice. The more you are oppressed, the more voice we give you. The less you are oppressed, the less voice we give you. And the more you are an oppressor just because of who you are, the more we will now shun you and bring you down. Yeah. That is not a biblical anthropology. Yeah, people are being told that they have to repent of their whiteness. Yes, when it's... you figure out how to do that, you let me know. Yeah. And I mean, the, and this is this is not just a cultural idea. This is in churches. This is um, I, I have a master's degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and my seminary is is dealing in this on a regular basis now. There, this is part of classwork. This is part of an understanding of the worldview where they're borrowing some of these ideas and then trying to put a Christian lens on them. That's that's what I tell people that you can't do with life. You know, you can't take a cultural idea and then sprinkle a little Jesus juice on it and be like, "Oh, look, it's healed, and we can we can deal with this now." That's not how culture works. We start with our biblical definitions, and anything else we reject. So, intersectionality denies a biblical anthropology, but they also deny a biblical soteriology. This is this wasn't on the recording because we started before this. Lou and I going a little back and forth to make sure we're on the same page. I asked Lou, if you were in an intersectional worldview, how would you define salvation? They don't even really think about that, do they? You wouldn't think so because they don't have a God. Right, I mean... But they do because... Okay. Let's see, it with, with pop quiz time. Who is the second after God? So if I remove God from his throne, from a cultural perspective, what is the next most powerful entity in existence? Well, you are, right? No, I'm not because I don't have any power. But I'm talking about from a human realm that actually has power and authority. The government. There it is right yeah, there. The government, so yeah. government becomes my God, right. which means my salvation is now defined. Get ready for it. Here's our buzzword. My salvation and intersectionality is defined by my pursuit of justice. Yeah. And who will grant me that justice? As Tim Hawkins famously sings, the government can, the government can. Go look up that song. It's hysterical. You'll laugh. You'll laugh great. Tim Hawkins is awesome. So that's yeah. their salvation is as you oppressors yeah. are slighted and damaged by the power of government. And we oppressed people are now elevated to points of importance and um, in standing. We are now enacting justice in the human realm. See, this denies, again, a soteriology and an anthropology. Why could early Christian martyrs willingly die at the hands of a pagan government? Well, because their faith in, in the hope of, of salvation... Um, they were following in the footsteps of all of the early church people. Um, all the early believers, you know, Paul said to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. That was their hope.
let me see. Okay, make sure I'm still on. We're going to have to do the changing of batteries on the fly again because my batteries just keep getting drunk in these microphones, and I do not understand why. Mm-hmm. But anyway, no, you're exactly right. Now, the second part of that, though, is this. What's my concern for that pagan government if I'm dead? And the answer is I don't have one because I'm not worried about it because who's going to deal with them? God will. God will. Right. My, ju- my idea of justice is eternal. Right. Either they're going to kill me, someone's going to preach the gospel to them, and they'll get saved, in which case Christ will have borne the penalty for that sin, or God's going to get them. This is, again, the picture of Revelation, the, the saints and the martyrs gathered around the throne. What are they crying out for? Justice. justice. How long, O oh Lord, oh. must we wait before you do something? Right. This was the cry of Habakkuk. How long am I going to sit here and watch this covenant people forsake you and you don't do anything? Right. I want justice from God. Now, take God out of the picture. I need government to grant me justice because there's no longer an eternal standard. I need an earthly one. And that's part of the problem of this is my salvation is now dependent upon actual societal justice brought about by the oppressive hand of government. I can't live in that world. I can't function because here's the question. In a sinful society, when is enough ever enough? Oh, it's never enough for a sinful society. Men will continue to keep on sinning. They will keep falling from their true nature, uh, uh, which is only found in God. Right? We were created in the likeness and in the image of God. And because of that, we have a yearning for him mm-hmm. and the things that he provides. When you take that away, the, sh- the, the shaking of my fist at God only continues, only serves to continue to da- degrade me further and to lose me more and more in what is wrong with me. Right. So what you end up seeing is a society that has no hope but the crushing of what it sees as its enemies because that's its only standard for justice. Now, the last thing that we mentioned is is the idea of harmartiology, the doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. How does intersectionality corrupt an understanding of sin? This, this should be the easiest one of all. One, they have no real understanding of sin, but their bigger problem is they define sin according to a worldly standard. Right. I mean, that... It's totally uh, uh, subjective in nature. Um, And and the problem with these worldviews, when they reject God, they reject his word. And because his word defines what sin is, then they reject what true sin is and they allow their culture to dictate it. And there it is. Ultimately, when I'm comparing myself to determine my level of holiness... What should I be comparing myself to, or who should I be comparing myself to? Are you talking about a Christian? Yes. Well, they they should be comparing themselves to their holy creator. There it is. The minute my standard is anything less than God, what's going to happen to my understanding of sin? You're going to lose it in translation, really. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to allow yourself to be the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong and because we're fallen we are always going to continue to fall into that that pit that we keep digging for ourselves and see and ultimately that pit gets dug because who 
Who has been removed? God has God been removed. Has. They have rejected him as king. Therefore, everything else, because God is my fixed standard. He is my north star of life. Whenever that is removed, what am I left with? I'm going to replace it with something. What's our big fancy theological term for replacing the worship of God? <laughs> That's idolatry. Idolatry, yeah. I have replaced God. Yeah. I am choosing to worship and serve something that is not him. Yeah. I am now engaging in idolatry. Yeah. This is what intersectionality does. It takes God out. Right. Well, now that I'm no longer accountable to a creator, well, there's got to be some means and mechanism by which I can ascend. And an idol is something that you create in the likeness of yourself. So I need something that's all-powerful. Well, what's mm-hmm. the most all-powerful thing I can come up with? It's my government. So what do they do? Now they can give me laws and regulations that will tear down my oppressors and build me up. They will give me standing. See, this is what the gospel is supposed to do. What was Jesus' advice to the people at the feast? Don't take the good seats. Mm-hmm. Someone more important than you might show up, and then what happens? Then you got to go sit at the end of the table and look like a fool. Instead, what should you do? Go, go sit in the worst seat you can find. So when the master of the banquet sits down, he goes, what are you doing all the way down there? Come sit by me. You get exalted. This is the message of James. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you at the proper time. I am brought low by my repentance and then I am exalted by Christ in the heavenly courts because I stand there based on his work. Mm -hmm. So I am exalted by Christ not by myself. So I have my upward mobility. The world can't hurt me because all the world's going to do is exalt me in Christ. Therefore, they cannot tear me down. Take away all of that. What do I need? I need an all-powerful entity to exalt me. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, the only way I can... Look, anybody who has survived middle school understands this. How do I make sure I look better? By making everybody else do what? I look bad. I make everybody else look worse. Mm-hmm. So what, is, what do I want my government to do for me in intersectional worldview? I tear everybody else down... So that I am now elevated. Yeah. See, these, these people never graduated being 13. That's, that's their big yeah, problem. Yeah, they've regressed. <clears throat> now, this is, this is the breakdown. Now, look, understanding who you are and where you came from solves all of this. Not just some of this, but all of this. And that foundation... That grounding in scripture of who we are, where we come from, what's wrong with us, and what needs to be set right should govern everything else. And this should be something that we so drill into our heads every day that whenever anything else comes into our world that challenges that or attacks that, just like red flags should just explode all the time because we know who we are. We know where we came from. We know what was wrong with us, and we know what Christ has set right. So anything that challenges that, it just, no, immediately, just no. And not only no, but I can explain why no. Now I'm actually doing the call of Peter. I'm actually giving a defense of the hope that lies within me. I'm actually taking every thought captive to Christ. I'm refuting the false worldviews. I'm tearing down the speculations, and I'm grounded in Christ so that I am built up as his disciple, which, you know, actually is what we call discipleship in the path of sanctification that we're supposed to be walking. So, questions? Have we missed anything? I don't think so. (sighs) Wasn't that fun? (laughs) There's a lot to be thrown out here, but understanding who we are tentacles into everything else. So, let's make sure we catch this. What have we learned today? Humanity has one common descent and ancestry. We all come from Adam and Eve. The only people of God are those who are of faith. 
doesn't matter. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. So we are only in Christ are we the people of God, and only in his work is that actually possible. And identifying yourself by anything other than God is idolatry. This is the problem of the world, folks. This is why they need our preaching. They need our faith. They need our grounding because without it, they don't have anything else. And the sinful heart will contort everything imaginable in order to satisfy itself. The only satisfaction that can be found is in Christ and his gracious work. So, if you have any questions, you can get to us, uh, Michael or Lou, at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can find us on our website, practicaltheologyministries.com. There you'll find some, you'll find this podcast, you'll find other resources like our newsletter, our reading plan. You can like us on Facebook, Practical Theology Ministries. You can follow us on Twitter at P underscore T, uh, P underscore T underscore M tweets. Ugh. Yes, it's complicated, but it was all they would let me have. Um, and as with everything, we'll remind you every week, read your Bible. It's good for you. And I pray that you be grounded and built up in his word for the salvation of your souls. God bless.